I'd like you to join me in turning in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 1 down through verse 18. And we're going to be continuing in this four-part series, asking ourselves the question, just why did Jesus Christ come? And what we've noticed over the course of these past weeks is that our Lord does not normally use the phrase, I was born. Rather, he uses the phrase, I came. I came to, I was sent to, or I appeared that. And the reason, of course, is that he was preexistent. Before Bethlehem, he lived. And so, once again, what we want to do is to ask ourselves the question, how does this passage as well inform us with regard to the purpose, the mission, the reason? for Jesus Christ coming into this world via Bethlehem. So I'm going to read in this passage down through verse 10, even though we're going to cover verse 1 through 18, and I'd like you to do this with me. When I am done reading, I'd like us to go to our Lord in prayer silently and to pray for the people of Connecticut, and in particular the people in Newtown, Connecticut. I pastored very close to that setting. I know that area very well. And it's our prayer that God would do a work of grace in their midst, filling the sense of his presence where there is such an aching void, and that people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through the tremendous loss that they're experiencing at this time. So when I'm done reading in verses 1 through 10, we're going to take a moment to have some quiet time of prayer, seeking our Lord. And then when it seems appropriate, I'll begin to transition us through prayer into the study of God's Word. But in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, we find these words. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'd like you to join me now. We're going to go to our Lord in silent prayer. And however the Holy Spirit is leading you right now, I pray that you'll begin to intercede on behalf of the families, the pastors who will be handling the funerals, the aldermen, I think of one in particular, she's a wonderful lady, strategic people. Pray that the Holy Spirit be at work in a powerful way. Let's go to our Lord in quiet, silent time of prayer. There's such an ache in our hearts, Father. A small town has had a national impact. And once again, the integrity of Scripture has been acted out because, again, we've seen the effects of sin. And there are going to be people who are asking the question, why? I'm praying that they will be drawn to the one who asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But went on to say, it is finished. And into thy hands I commit my spirit. Move in hearts. Surround families with tremendous love. Give great wisdom, Father, to the few pastors in that particular area who will be given responsibility of guiding people through the grieving process. There's such a lack of gospel there. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak even through the lips of unbelieving pastors and surprise with your grace. Draw people, Father, to you because the God of the universe had made himself vulnerable to experience loss.
the second member of the Trinity, was willing voluntarily to give up his life. Loss and life are tied into the salvation story. So I pray that in a very powerful way you will minister to needs in the local setting, in the national setting, in this setting. So Father, as we open your word and simultaneously praying that you open our hearts, Again, Father, it's our prayer that we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. So we pray these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look at this painting that appears on the screen right now. It's a painting that is hanging on a wall in our living room right next to our piano. As a painting of a shepherd in the country of Scotland. It's probably the most beloved painting in the land of Scotland. A land that knows a lot about shepherds and sheep. Allow for this story to be able to saturate your heart. Look at the shepherd. He has the food for the sheep. It's on his back, and the weather is less than ideal, and he's hunched over. He's alone. He's a single shepherd. He's the shepherd to this flock. And yet, despite the conditions, he is willing to step out for their sake. Notice the sheep and how they're organized. There are some that are very close to that shepherd feel very comfortable about being in his presence, being near to that shepherd. Then there are those a little further removed, and still even more so. There's a couple out there in the balcony, you see. Um, they want to they check this out. They will wait to see how the others respond before they inch forward. And then there's that one. He's heading in the wrong direction. The shepherd has so much to offer that one. And yet that one seems to want to go his own way. It's the story of sheep. It's the story of our lives. Jesus Christ has made some very powerful statements now that you and I have pondered. We noticed in some of the phrasing in the scriptures that Jesus had uttered such intentional words as, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he used the phrase, I have come to, not I was born to. Then we also pondered a phrase that he used last week, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
ransom, a rich word for the Jewish population, who would track that word from the Exodus experience onward. But now here we find Jesus Christ not speaking to his disciples per se, though they are listening in, but rather to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are religious unbelievers, who have just turned their back on a man that Jesus Christ has healed, healed from blindness. Because they view Jesus as a Sabbath breaker, violating their traditions. So what Jesus is going to do now is that he is going to go into the rich imagery of the Old Testament and supply the people with a teaching pertaining to the idea of the good shepherd. The Pharisees are listening in because in many ways that one sheep that is heading in the wrong direction is illustrative of their own experience. There's three observations that I want to draw out for us this morning as we look at these 18 verses of the 10th chapter of John. And the first one I'm going to phrase like this, that as the good shepherd, first of all, note the personal care that Christ provides. The personal care that Christ provides. And you see it, of course, in verse 1 down to verse 6. Now, what I'd like to do is to produce some imagery of what's occurring as these verses are being, are being communicated. So let's now allow for a scene of a shepherd and a sheep near Bethlehem to appear behind me on the screen. And as that scene appears, ponder with me the shepherd and the care that he's providing as you begin to examine the phrasing, I tell you the truth, as Jesus now speaks to the Pharisees who have just turned their back upon this man who's been healed by Jesus. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Immediately, what Jesus Christ is doing is he's extracting from a passage of the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, as you spot in your outlines, in your handouts, where these evil ones, these evil shepherds, these thieves, these robbers, are the religious leaders, priests, prophets, Princes and the like, who had robbed and prayed, P-R-E-Y-E-D, on the flock of God, as described in the book of Ezekiel. And now what Jesus Christ is doing, subtly but wisely, is he is now contrasting the Pharisees, who are part of this crowd, who have just turned their back, upon this one born blind, but now sees with himself the good shepherd. Why, even in his blindness, the blind man could see more than the Pharisees could possibly see with regard to the one he described as the Son of Man. 
But in verse 2, you and I are informed that a man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. In verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Notice that he calls his own by name. The call is personal, and his own will listen. They're called by name. During my summer days, in between my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years in college, I would work at Ford Motor Company. We'd put in 12, 16-hour days, six days a week. And when you would line up for your responsibility, the foreman did not call us by name. He simply read out our social security numbers. And then we were given our tasks, so you better know your social security number if you're going to work in the factory there. But here now, what you and I find, we don't have a foreman calling out a number. We've got a shepherd calling out sheep by their names. And typically, they were named according to some of the characteristics that a shepherd would spot with regard to that sheep, and perhaps part of the lineage, part of the the generations that he knows pertaining to that particular sheep. He calls his own by name, and you see it in verse 1, down through verse 3. But furthermore, you and I are told that he, he leads them out, according to verse 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now for this event to unfold, we've got to understand a little further the whole matter of the sheepfold. There were two forms, two kinds, two varieties in the land of Israel. The rural sheepfold was one where one particular shepherd would, would lay down at the gate, the entrance. It was a, a rather ill-formed sheepfold, but it would be one particular flock only that would find itself in there. But the second kind was what we will call a communal sheepfold, where there were various flocks, various shepherds, but one watchman, one porter, who was hired, and he would lay at the gate at the opening of the sheepfold. And then in the morning, the shepherds would come out, and the flocks would distinguish themselves from one another as they heard the voice of their shepherd. And so you might have two or three shepherds in that village beginning to sing their song, call out the names, and it would be an amazing experience to watch the, she the sheep begin to separate from various flocks, but their own flock would stay together and move in the direction of their own particular shepherd. Now what Jesus Christ is saying here is that his people know his voice. They know his wording. 
They know his cadence. They know his song. And their movement is toward him, not from him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His own sheep, not all the sheep, just his own. There are others that are mingled in, but they don't belong to this good shepherd we know as Jesus. But when he has brought out all his own, notice the emphasis upon his own. He doesn't lag behind them. Verse 4 informs us he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, you see. They trust that voice. They know the words. During World War I, some Turkish soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from a hillside near Jerusalem. When told that the shepherd who had been sleeping suddenly awoke and found his sheep being driven off to the other side of the ravine. Now, he didn't have any hope of going against that particular army regiment of Turkish soldiers. But he had a thought. So standing up in his side of the ravine, he put his hands to his mouth, gave his own peculiar call, which he used each day to gather his own sheep to him. And the sheep heard that familiar sound, you see. And for a moment they listened, and then hearing it again, they turned and rushed down one side of the ravine and up the other toward their shepherd and away from the Turkish soldiers that had attempted to steal the sheep. And the shepherd was away with them, to a safe place before the soldiers could make up their minds to pursue them, all because his sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. Do you know the word of God? Are you allowing that voice to saturate your mind with the theology, the truth? God's Word. Notice the care, the incredible personalized care that's being offered here. That's your Jesus. He calls his own by name, verse 1 through 3. He leads his own out, verses 4 and 5. He goes ahead of us, and he never asks us to go where he hasn't already been. He's not a lagging indicator. He's the leading indicator pointing us toward the Father through the work of this one we know as the Son. But out of these verses, you and I are struck, aren't we, with the incredible compassion of the shepherd. Let this verse of Matthew 9 verse 36 appear now on the screen behind me. Because the way it's phrased is that when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. Not hopeless, but helpless. 
like sheep without a shepherd. The very words were saturated with imagery from the Older Testament of Isaiah chapter 49 and one of those great servant songs where Isaiah promises they will feed beside the road and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. Listen to this. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And that's your Jesus. No matter what kind of loss you've experienced in life, you have a God who understands the relationship of loss and life. And he overcomes loss with life. After this powerful teaching in John 10 will be the resurrection of Lazarus in chapter 11. Where Jesus Christ will inform them that I am the resurrection and the life. Phrasing I utilize at gravesite. To remind those that are listening in very carefully of the one who has taken the sting of death away. See the compassion here? Sense the shepherd here? But the astounding thing is that though they're incredibly religious, these Pharisees, there's no compassion. They're simply committed to their traditions, but they are not committed to the truth. They've got their plans, but they're not devoted to God's people. And Jesus breaks in, you see. And what he does, he breaks into such a degree that he utilizes the imagery that utterly astounds the people in that particular rural cultural setting as they listen in to the subtleties and the rich metaphor Christ is producing in this teaching. They don't get it. Because in verse 6, John informs us Jesus used this figure of speech. But they did not understand what he was, what he was telling them. And they were religious leaders, you see. I do a funeral, and no matter how hardened the secularists are, and I've seen the hardest, there is something incredibly profound when the 23rd Psalm begins to be read. There's a sense of the caring presence of the Good Shepherd that begins to permeate that setting through the words of David's penmanship. One person in time past said, 
Hearing the 23rd Psalm read at the end of the service, I was struck with the fact, as I pondered my friends and my relatives who were out there, all of them know Psalm 23, but only a portion of them know the shepherd of Psalm 23. You see, it's possible to be religiously informed and biblically literate and still not know. But what we see here with regard to Christ is this incredible imagery unfolding for you and for me to embrace that as the Good Shepherd, we're called, first of all, to note the personal care that Christ provides in 1 through 6. But now look very carefully with me at verse 7 through 10. Because here now we have, we have the second observation that as the good shepherd, number two, note with me the purposeful coming that Christ explains. He's going to give you the reason. What some disc jockeys call the reason for the season with regard to the way, the manner, the purpose of Christ coming into this world. So now Jesus picking up on the fact that he's, he's getting some empty looks according to what we've just spotted here in verse 6. He's going to now dig in a little deeper, isn't he? And he's going to use some repetitive phrasing. So in verse 7, Jesus says, Therefore, so Jesus said it again. I tell you the truth. Isn't it how he began in verse 1? Now he's got to say it again, verse 7, because the traditions of the Pharisees were relativizing the truths of the gospel. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Well, you and I now need to see a sheepfold and an entrance. So if we could show that on the screen. And now we begin to get a better sense of what Christ is talking about. He's saying, I'm not utilizing a porter, a night watchman. I'm 24-7. I'm the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. So now notice that opening. And what strikes us about gates, what strikes us about doors, is that they are both inclusive and exclusive. They hold a group in, but simultaneously they exclude the group from without. This gate, this door, has a way of separating, distinguishing, Dare we say, dividing. You know, Jesus has a way of doing that in this culture, you know. Notice his phrasing when he says, I am the gate. He uses, once again, one of the brilliant phrasings. The bread of life. I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. 
But now the third of the great I am statements of seven in the book of John, I am the gate, appears not once, but twice. Repetition is God's means of getting our attention. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, the second time he states it. Notice the absoluteness. I am not merely a gate. I am the gate. Which will be a natural movement toward what Christ would say in John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Having done a funeral this past week for a wonderful man. I was struck with the fact that I was requested to use that passage. And his daughter had spotted, worn passage. Her dad had thumbed it through many a time, evidently. And so as Linda Davis asked me to do this on behalf of her father, Ralph Reinbacher, we wanted to convey the sense of the absoluteness Notice the claim he makes. I am the gate. I am the gate. It's absolute. It's contrastive between the thieves and the robbers and Jesus Christ himself. The claims he makes have to be combined with the avenue he provides in verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me I wonder what the Pharisees are thinking now. Do you see how he has personalized it and tied salvation into who he is? We'll be saved. What's going on in their minds? But then, what I want you to notice here with me, and this is critically important, is the intentionality of verse 10, a buzzword in today's culture. It's the purposeful life. It's the purposeful coming that Christ will now explain in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. Notice how he uses contrasting elements in his teachings, such as, I came not to abolish the law and the prophets. I came not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The thief only comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So let's now allow for these words to appear on the screen. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And notice again, he does not say, I was born to. He says, I have come to. And because he lived before, he was born. 
as the second member of the Trinity. Which is why he uses the I am statements, because in the Aramaic, I am can be translated Yahweh. Yahweh gate. Yahweh bread of life. You see. And Jesus, brilliantly, with his antagonists in John 8, said, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh. So he's continuously utilizing Yahweh's statements here, Jehovah's statements here. Directing people toward him, saying he's the avenue to the Father. Christianity Today, in 19, excuse me, 2007, had an article by Eugene Peterson. The thought triggered the other night as I was pondering, it's a wonderful life. And the article's heading, title, was, it's a wonder-full life. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is not merely extended duration of time. This is the overwhelming provision of grace. The Old Testament scholar George Adam Smith was one day traveling in Israel told G. Campbell Morgan of his experience, and Morgan now recites it for us. He was one day traveling with a guide, came across a shepherd and his sheep. He fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. And Sir George said to him, this, that's where they go at night? Well, yes, said the shepherd, and when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there's no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. But Morgan tells us he was not a Christian. He was not speaking in the language of Scripture. He was speaking from the Arab shepherd's standpoint. So George looked at him and said, what do you mean by the door? To which the shepherd responded, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. Grasp that. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. Grasp that. I, he said, am the door. But the brilliant teacher, our Lord, delivers one more observation that we're going to simply summarize now. It's this, number three. That as the good shepherd, I want you to note with me the promised work that Christ fulfills. 
the promised work that Christ fulfills. Some rapid-fire observations. You're going to want to note with me and mark in your Bible the repeated statement that Jesus Christ makes with regard to this mission. In verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, towards the end of it, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He's not an accident in time. This is an appointment for you and for me. You've now seen four significant repeated statements tying together the personal, purposeful, and promised work of Jesus Christ. Notice furthermore, he says it's one flock. In verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them all so they will too listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd, meaning Jewish believers and Gentile believers, not two flocks, one flock. Though they are distinguishable. But there's something more I want you to see and if you have that if you have that insert from your bulletin, note very carefully what's going to now appear on the screen from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23 and 24. Ezekiel, a prophet, 6th century B.C., taken into captivity, removed from the land of Israel into the land of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, Penn's thoughts with regard to the good shepherd who is still to come. And I want you to now to see, because we're about to connect the dots of six centuries and deliver the goods via the writings of Ezekiel, tying together Ezekiel 34 and six centuries later, what Jesus says in John chapter 10, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And the, my servant David will be prince among them. And I, the Lord, have spoken. And now you begin to look carefully at John chapter 10, verse 11 and 14. I am the, not a, good shepherd. And you look for the usage of the word one particularly now at the end of verse 16, one flock, one shepherd, and what are we going to do with Ezekiel 34, we're asking ourselves. Yeah, some thoughts that come to our minds. That this prophetic statement regarding this good shepherd is that he's an appointed shepherd. The appointment came from the Godhead. David was out tending the flocks outside of what town? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. When Samuel goes in to find out where it is that God had called him to anoint the future king of Israel, 
And it's an appointment from God, not a vote from the brothers of Jesse's, among Jesse's clan. He's an appointed shepherd. But furthermore, he is the one shepherd. Now, have you been noticed with me how many times the word one has been used and how exclusive the emphasis has been? And now here at the end of John chapter 10, verse 16, you and I are informed, and there shall be one flock and what? One? One shepherd? He's the appointed shepherd. He's the one shepherd. He is the servant shepherd. He is the Davidic shepherd. Shepherd, my servant David. Where did Joseph and Mary go to register Jesus? At the decree of Caesar Augustus? In Bethlehem, the city of whom? David. Six centuries prior, here we find the goods delivered by Ezekiel, my servant David. He is the royal shepherd. David will be prince. A favorite expression used in the book of Ezekiel to describe leaders. He will be prince. David will be among them. And then to get a sense of the voice. I, the Lord, you see, have spoken. Which takes us right back to that scene from Scotland. Because there's that shepherd, one shepherd. He's got the food. He's caring for the flock. But what astounds us is that though he is their shepherd, there are varying degrees of willingness as to how close they want to be to that shepherd. Some are close. Some are distant. One is turned. Question. Which is you? Let's stand together. Thank you, Father, for the tremendous rich imagery that our Lord uses. He teaches profoundly and yet practically, aware of the culture, aware of the situation, addresses the issues without skirting the tensions. He offers the truth. If there's anyone here, Father, that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Very religious or maybe very secular. They need to be willing to embrace the voice. Understand that it was Jesus alone who laid down his life for him or her. And by faith, put faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. I pray they'll let Jesus be the one to shepherd their lives. Minister here. 
minister in Connecticut, speak to this nation. Speak to this heart that's pondering these thoughts right now. And may Christ remain central. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.